All right. Hello and welcome to. Do you? Like I was all ready and then you guys all f***ed up. It's also it's our fault. Uh-huh. All right. Hello and welcome to the Out of Space Games podcast, episode 11. Today we're going to be talking about asymmetrical games. Games that are balanced, but they don't play exactly the same while sharing some game mechanics. It's a topic I'm really excited about. And yeah, I guess. So, anyways, my name is Jay. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sean. I'm Dean. And I'm Jared. Out of space. So like I said, I'm really excited about this game. I don't know. Today has just been a really good day. So I'm looking forward to podcasting. And in particular, the games we've been, we're going to be talking about. So I finally got to like work out tonight after a couple weeks off. So I was feeling pretty good. And on the way home, I turned on the, there's like a college station put on, run by the students. And it usually sucks because they're DJs like, <laughs> you know, Hi. they say like, um, every other word, um, and Kind of like you do. Yeah. Uh, I, I just edit them all out so you guys never get to hear it. <laughs> but it was like, you're listening to, and it and it had some voice say, like, the Asian invasion. I was like, what the heck is going on? I I don't really listen to this uh, channel that often. And then... It's K-pop like the, night. I guess. But so the, <laughs> the first song that came on was... Uh, The theme to Attack on Titan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty sweet. I got to say, man, like driving home after you work out, you still got that pump and knowing we're going to podcast tonight. So I, I just got really hyped for doing this podcast. No, that's one of the best opening themes ever. Yeah. I only know one person that doesn't like it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Sean just made a funny face. Awesome. <laughs> How can you not like that opening theme? I mean, that's... I, I don't understand. Anyways. She doesn't like anything. Mm, well, she doesn't like anything that I like. So, anyways, yeah, tonight we're going to be talking about asymmetrical games. So we should probably talk about what exactly what we mean when we say asymmetrical. I think this topic is going to cover a wide range of, of games and gaming. So in addition to board games, which we will definitely be talking about, we'll also be talking about card games and probably some video games as well because they're great examples of asymmetrical gameplay. So I guess what are what do you guys think when you think like asymmetrical gameplay? Gameplay that's not symmetrical. <laughs> I mean, um... Gameplay um is that is um not symmetrical um that better yeah day? I'll just cut all, all right. that out so <laughs> <laughs> no I think what most people think of is something like StarCraft where you have the three different classes that you know kind of plays a little differently with Zerg rushing you have Terran as a kind of like a mid mid grade and you don't need you to go Kotas. too specific about it but yeah. I think what I mean is like the basic mechanics of the game are all shared, but then the other mechanics or the themes of the game are designed so that within those mechanics, they can feel very different and play very different, even if you're using the same basic actions. 
So with StarCraft, for instance, everyone needs to gather resources, build buildings, and upgrade units. But what those units actually do and your process for what to build first changes based on what race you're using. What about you, Dean? Anything, like, real you want to contribute? <laughs> well, the nice thing about an asymmetrical-based game is you have, as a player, the ability to find your favorite or most comfortable faction, you know, one that kind of speaks to your style. And that's always nice because, you know, every player is different. We have our own taste, so when we approach that kind of a game... It's always nice to be able to say, you know, I, I play more of this type and this works with this faction. It was perfect for me. And then either you're really great with it or, you know, and then everyone hates you or you're really bad with things it. like, oh, maybe I'll try this other faction instead. You know, stuff like that. So it's always it's nice to be able to almost personalize some things in that way. I think asymmetric games have a high replayability factor in them because not only can you play the different factions or different classes or whatever, but you can also play with different strategies within those groupings. You know, for StarCraft, for instance, if you play Terran, you could do a Marine Rush and be very effective at it, just as effective as, like, a Zergling Rush with Zerg, or you could play late game and try to build up for your battle cruisers. So you're not kind of pigeonholed into just kind of playing one play style just because maybe their strengths or weaknesses fit one way or another. Yeah, it's kind of what I was trying to, what I was getting at. So Sean, you had mentioned when we first brought up the topic, I guess deck building games or or card games where you have to actually build decks, not specifically deck building games. Well, I think the like the granddaddy of all is Magic: The Gathering, and when you think about the different colors, different decks, that'll Im- immediately trigger people to think of different play styles. Like right now I'm playing Hearthstone, which is very derivative of Magic. And the way that I play is I have like an early rush and then I do uh, Temple Control. Yeah, and I think that's maybe why those games are so appealing. Hearthstone and Magic being super popular right now because you can kind of build around a theme, build around a color, build around a, a strategy and have a deck that works against other decks that have a completely different strategy, completely different build. Well, for instance, in in boxing, they say styles makes fights. And I think that translates to these... To the modern boxing where it's full of clinching your way to the title? (laughs) Uh, Anyways, because if there was only one powerful deck and everyone was playing the same thing, which can sometimes happen if there are really powerful cards printed, but there's always someone out there who's trying to brew something different that's a little more unique, a little different. And I think seeing different decks go up against each other, that's what makes the game interesting. Yeah, and like I know like a lot of people don't like rot- set rotation, where it forces players to buy new, new cards and upgrade their decks. But sometimes that can help rebalance uh, different colors in the magic world or whatever. Yeah, so even even in fighting games, I think you have asymmetrical elements where you have like different types of characters like you have your standard like fireball uppercut characters you have your charge characters which play a little different and then you have your grapplers so like even something like your street fighters your guilty gears you have different 
types of play styles. Mm-hmm. So we should probably talk about a board game. <laughs> that <laughs> That's was weird. the worst transition ever. <laughs> All right, so a game that most of us have played. It's not that well-known. It's an awesome game, though. It's called Tomorrow, designed by Dirk Niemeyer, first published by Conquistador Games. It's an asymmetrical game where players play different nations of the world trying to depopulate a futuristic Earth in which the natural resources are running low. Of course, nobody wants to choose their nation or sacrifice the people of their nation to help stem, I guess, the tide of all these people. So you kind of work together or work against each other with biological weapons, nuclear war, military strength to be, I guess, victorious at the end to both help depopulate the Earth and have the most remaining survivors. Tomorrow's kind of unique in the fact that while pretty much all the, the factions have the same like actions they can take. They all have like a special modifier of some sort on Mm -hmm. one of the actions as well as their home bases, I guess you would say, or home countries have different values associated with them. So, for instance, uh, Russia only has three population markers, but those population markers are worth individually a lot more than for instance the indian markers because there are so many of the indian markers so you really have to kind of devise your strategy on not only not losing your own population but really being careful with what nations you do select to remove population from to keep the death track moving yeah i think that's a nice description of it that game almost like thrives on that asymmetrical. You are forced to play very different depending on what nation you are. Yes, 100%. So the most populated countries like China, India, or... Well, okay, China and India are the right. most populated. And if you play a four-player game, someone is playing China. So as a Chinese player, you almost have to go in knowing that people are going to attack you and just mess with your stuff. So using the other abilities and stuff you have... You have to kind of play around that and not necessarily see that as a weakness, but as just an alternate strategy. While on the flip side, like Jared was saying, Russia only has three population markers versus China's like 20. So you have to do your very best to protect them uh, at all costs, which is probably why Russia has the most number of nukes that they can use. So nukes, they kind of hurt the board since you're trying to make the, the world more popular. A bit habitable, maybe? Yeah, sure. Since you're trying to make the word more habitable, nukes actually hurt those odds, and like this doom track that counts down as you slaughter the masses actually counts up when you launch a nuke, because it just makes it so that there's more areas people can't live. But since Russia doesn't have that many people, it has the threat of nukes, so that if someone were to launch, let's say, a biological or something... They can threaten to retaliate with nukes. There's, so there's a lot of politicking, a lot of like alliances or uneasy truces that you make, which can be shattered and, you know, backstabbing going on. So I feel like 
and I don't I don't know if this is a trend for all asymmetrical games, but it has a lot of player interaction where almost everything you do can be contested or influenced by what other people say or do when you announce it or as you choose to make a decision about something. So much of tomorrow really depends on like um, the sequence of actions as well. And so with that player interaction, you know, like if you're going first, you're at a much more of a disadvantage, I feel like, than when you, you get to play last because you get to see where everyone else is doing and you can counter counterpoint to that as opposed to having to take that first action and then being the brunt of everyone's counterattack. Yeah, I have to feel like a, a game like that must be difficult to design. Like what powers you give people to make them feel like they're unique and have a unique strategy and different options available than playing a different country, but at the same time still be balanced and not overpowered. Yeah, I, mean, I always think that the danger of that kind of a game is making a certain faction overpowered or making one underpowered. It's finding the right balance is very tricky. Because yeah. you finding that unique ability is always cool. It's always interesting. And but then, like, how does like? And also, because not every ability is counterbalanced by something specifically. You know, just that might be really good at that. But then they would have to like detract from that country's abilities with something else. Or you have to find it. Like, it's 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 not black and white how you can balance things out. You gotta. Take the whole game's perspective. Well, like a lot of games, they have to do, like with video games and like deck building games, they have to sometimes errata stuff or do do patches because something will come out where it's considered broken at first, where you know everyone's using some kind of exploit to gain the advantage. So a lot of times, you do have something that's unbalanced that comes out in, in these types of games. I think a lot of times, too, even if it's not a patch to fix something broken, lots of times like a developer will want to... Something's being underutilized, so they'll patch it to... You know, they want to see more variation. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to happen. So, so in Magic, I play a format called Modern. So it's a little more of a legacy format or eternal format where not as many cards rotate out or you have a larger pool to work with. But you still do see variations when there's there's one or two new cards that come out in standard that are playable. Or if a deck is too powerful, they will ban cards too, which is, like you guys said, either an errata or like a patch, essentially. But I think, as we're talking about it, I think asymmetrical games fit a certain type of play group. They're definitely not for every play group because, like kind of what you were saying, Dean, you, you need to have something match your play style. Or fit your style. Right. In order for it to be enjoyable. So if you give, like, we ran into that with the Game of Thrones one when, um, you know, we gave some controlled decks to, you know, aggro players and stuff like that. And because you have alter alternative ways to win, it's not always apparent who's in the lead or who's doing the best or. Yeah, that, that just takes time. You have to, everyone has to get used to the mechanics and then. If you have like a certain play group that you work with, after a while you'll learn people's tendencies. Yeah, and things are things are a little more unpredictable because the games are so interactive. I feel like, for instance, if we're playing, if we were to play Puerto Rico or something, 
there's not too many ways to like screw someone over. Well, in tomorrow, if you launch a nuke on someone's board, it hurts the entire board. And if you have a nuke on your nation, it hurts your points a lot. So there are these wild swings that I think people who may enjoy the Euro type game may not enjoy, at least tomorrow and some other asymmetrical games. Well, all the games we're talking about kind of reminds me of the Cthulhu Wars board game because every faction has abilities too. So, yeah, let's talk about Cthulhu Wars. All right, cool. Our last member just joined us. Dave just jumped in. And we're about to talk about Cthulhu Wars. Yay. So this is a game we talked about on our very first episode and I guess here to revisit it a little bit. And I think this one feels very much like an RTS. Well, a turn-based RTS. Yeah, okay. But I agree, it plays a lot like a video game does. Dean made the point that he felt that Cthulhu was a little bit overpowered. I would say that Cthulhu more so has a very straightforward playstyle. So, I didn't really have a learning curve jumping into the game. It was when I read like his description and his abilities and stuff, I'm like, I knew exactly the way to build out how I wanted to play his uh, the game. I think the other factions all have some really unique strategies to them that are a little bit more complex, and they take a little bit more planning or familiarity with the faction to really be able to get the maximum power out of them. In the second game, Jay, when you played as... Uh, Crawling Chaos. Yeah, Crawling Chaos. You actually almost beat me. It came down to that last uh, mm-hmm. Doom You sequence. crushed me, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, we, we had that battle, but then you mm-hmm. still almost beat me in points at the very end. So I think that's a game, the more we play it, I think Cthulhu will get almost weaker because you guys will know how to counter him a little bit better. Yeah, because kind of what we were talking about with tomorrow is that it, these asymmetrical games almost rely on self-policing. They say that in magic a lot too, that decks kind of police other decks so that one doesn't become too rampant. If one strategy is too powerful, then the counter strategy by the same vein also rises in popularity to counter the popular strategy. Cthulhu Wars hasn't like exploded you know, it hasn't uh, automatically become one of these four pillars of board gaming. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's because it's... <sighs> That's so negative. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it hasn't caught on in the same way. I think certain types of board gaming groups aren't... First of all, the, the playtime, I guess. But also just, I think, the strategy and, and the different methods to win... It's almost like, like you were saying, Jared, you, you almost have to play it multiple times, but play it multiple times as the same faction to yeah. discover these nuances and really pin down like the best strategies to win or something's not going the right way. How do I adapt or adjust to still slow this person down, but further my own victory conditions as well? I think a barrier on it too is the cost. Yeah, the base, I mean, the base, you know, the base no, game is running at what, one. like, 200, 200 yeah. bucks. So, 
It's not like someone's gonna look at it and be like, hey, this looks fun, I might, I'm gonna pick it up and see how my group likes it. Like, if you haven't played it before, or watched a video of somebody playing it, and know that it's already good, yeah, that's a lot of money to drop on, so, you know, just some you, cool miniatures. Basically, you're saying they just need to play it on tabletop, and then everyone will Yeah, and fun. then I'll blow up, like, big time. Yeah. You guys got any thoughts on Cthulhu Wars? Uh, I know I played my faction wrong. I should have. <laughs> I should have just rushed a lot more. But well, yeah, like if you get hit hard in that game, like I don't, I haven't played it enough yet. Like once you get hit hard enough, it's hard to recover in terms of points and also in units, I guess. Yeah. Well, and Sean, with the you were the black goat, correct? Yeah. All right. I think the correct strategy with the black goat is you can get your ancient one out a lot faster than anyone else can i think you could get them out on your first turn if you wanted to yeah the, the thing is though like when it comes out it's it's not full power so you have it depends yeah, on like how many units you have so if that if that gets taken out early in the game you're almost like at a handicap like throughout all the middle of the game yeah but like if cthulhu can get cthulhu out before you get your black goat out you might as well, like, rage quit because you don't have a chance of stopping. Like, Cthulhu's so much stronger that you have to be able to, like, poke me to death and not even allow me to really get up to full strength because, like, the Black Goat at full strength versus Cthulhu at full strength isn't a fair fight. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just different strategies to win, you know. And in Cthulhu Wars, because you're constantly upgrading your faction as you play the game, they all work in synergy with each other to unlock more powerful abilities. Maybe Sandy Peterson, the designer, even said this himself. That he designed the game so that it would feel like every faction would feel like they were powerful. You had units, or when you unlocked ability, it's like, wow, this is really powerful ability that I'm going to abuse over and over again. Because I think <laughs> as you play that game, it's like, oh, there's David pooping everywhere again with his <laughs> with this yellow sign, or I'm just going to you know what, Zingai, or I don't know, what the Screaming Dead or something. Anyways, you bring your entire team with you. Oh, I'm doing it again and doing it again. Like, and But that's mm. part of the game. Every faction is doing that. And I think that that does speak to playing something, playing a faction enough to understand at least how it interacts with the other factions. So I guess you can just use Cthulhu as an example. He controls gates. That's a big thing that Cthulhu does. But one of the things that the yellow sign can do is pop in and convert cultists, which Jared would devolve the cultists instead. But at that point, I was supposed to summon in my own cultists to take control of the gate instead and use that to basically give me more points, more power and stuff like that. But I wasn't doing that. I mean, they're just ways that, you know, asymmetrical games, they have balance to them. It's just that you have to play it enough to find how they're supposed to balance against other things. Yeah. And like a a difference of comparing Cthulhu Wars to Tomorrow. In Cthulhu Wars, I think it's more powerful if you act first because it's harder for players to react or to counter what you've done. While in Tomorrow, acting last gives you more knowledge about what has already occurred on the board and leaving you with more actions kind of in the bank. The guys are you guys are bringing up a good point about asymmetrical games, and it kind of goes along with 
well, this is the like the other side of how how great a personalized faction might be. If you don't know how to play it, and other players know how to play, it, and they can know how to counter it and everything, you could actually end up doing worse than if everything was all balanced. Because if you know how to properly use your abilities and use your characteristics of your faction, then yeah, you might just dig yourself in a giant hole. And I, I think I ended up doing that in. Uh, when I played Cthulhu Wars with you guys, yeah, I misheard dig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're the one whining all the time about us using swear words and whatnot. You have a dirty I mean, mind. I what? No one's swearing. I'm just. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying you have the dirty mind, Jay. <laughs> no, that's a that's a great point. And just bringing it back to magic, like your whole sideboard, and probably do they have a uh, sideboard in Hearthstone and stuff? No. Oh. Hearthstone's a very watered-down gotcha. trading card game. Pretty much just your hand. Because sideboard is basically what you think you're going to be playing against and what you can bring in to really punish those decks or just increase your chances of winning if you happen to draw those cards. So in that sense, it's almost like planning ahead just in case you face those things. But one of the reasons I'm, I was so excited to talk about asymmetrical games because I think... Some of the classic franchises that came together to make one of the most awesome, asymmetrically balanced, playable, just fun games ever. It's Aliens vs. Predator. So Alien vs. Predator has existed as bad movies. <laughs> it started in the comic book world. Yeah, comics. Video games. And board games now. I don't know, for me, this is one of my absolute favorite franchises. I think I just like the aliens and the creatures they created. And, well, these are all like a precursor, I think, to StarCraft, right? So at its core, you have you have your marines, you have your humans, you have the aliens that are more animalistic, hive-minded, very swarmy, right? And then you have your predators that are advanced. technologically advanced. And they're more stealth and do the waiting game. With a lot of power. So we recently received our Kickstarter copy for this board game. But before we talk about the board game, I really want to talk a little bit about uh, Alien vs. Predator 2 in particular. Released in 2001 from Sierra Games. And so, yeah, this might be a little bit of nostalgia, but for me anyway, this is one of just the best asymmetrically balanced game out there. When I say asymmetrical balance, I don't mean like rock, paper, scissors. Rock, paper, scissors is what is more like self-policing when one faction is better than the other. So you need all three in order to... I guess maintain that balance. Asymmetrical balance, when I when I say that I mean more every faction has just as good a chance to beat another faction, depending, you know, on skill. Experience. Exactly. I think we all played this game. Yeah. Except for Jared. We used to all go to like the MSU dorms. The computer labs. And bring copies of the game with us and install them on the computers there and just have these like... LAN party. Yeah. Yeah. It's before people were playing Halo and online shooters were playing this. 
Yeah, no, there was online stuff too, because you know, at the time, Call of, Call of Duty and of course Battlefield Two, I think was starting up. Yeah, but AVP just took the feel of each of the factions was so unique and so different, using the you know basically the same mechanics of sh- of shooting, if you will. I think it just made for such interesting uh, gameplay and circumstances. And even the mentality of like how you thought really fit like the faction. Yeah, so like when you're playing the games, like Marines, I guess, are more of your typical shooter where you have your little army dude with saw rifles, grenades, pistols. Yeah, your standard weapons. And then when you get into the other races, you really get the feel of something different. Like with the um, with the aliens, you had this enhanced speed. You could crawl up the walls and ceilings. Players like to run around in packs and swarm people together. And then I guess like yeah, the predator. It was just fun to cloak and then start sniping people from across the map. Yeah, because you weren't Sean. You weren't really a like a first person shooter player, but yeah. So I would pick predator and just like I'd pick a dark corner and hide there until. People discovered me. Then I would tickle them. So you were a camper. Yep. Not necessarily a camper. I don't know. I think he just said he would find a corner in the map and not move and snipe. That is like the definition of a camper. But the thing about this game is he can't, like, he would snipe, but then he uh, aliens could always see, like, predators when they were cloaked. So, I mean, it was a strategy, like, you know, the way that, you, like, you think about the movies, the way that the predators always He hasn't seen them. He hasn't. Oh, that's right. This, we're talking about Jared here. In the movie, Jared, <laughs> the predators are cloaked and they hunt humans, you know, kind of just slowly and watching and waiting for the right opportunity. How you has know, he not seen these? He's Jared. There's he's like, never, doesn't watch any movies. There's like 10, literally like more than 10 movies dealing with aliens and predators. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that game, I saw, so I recently installed it again and just tried to play it online and it's just i guess coming from battlefield especially maybe not so much from call of duty the game is just so so fast mm. obviously i went to aliens because that was my that's my race you know playing the aliens yeah, go to yeah but i mean obviously they're fast but you're running at like three times the speed of a normal person and just turning on a dime um, yeah. and you can pounce halfway across the map and it's just and and the nice thing that they do to balance it out is that aliens have very little health and armor. Oh, and they have no range, so they need to be right. Need to be fast, so. right? So it's it's a very balanced game. The humans have body armor and health, and the predators have a lot of health, right? And they're just and but they're slower, but they're more powerful, and the humans are kind of mid range. Just yeah, I mean, um, I'm probably gonna gush about this game a lot just because I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. But like every faction had. A one-hit kill. Basically like a headshot, you know. Right. But not just for ranged weapons. You know, like the Predator had the combi stick or even the wrist blades. If you fully charged it and just uh, jammed it in someone's skull, they would die immediately. Uh, The aliens had a pounce where if you you pounced at their head or if they were lower enough health, uh, they would just basically explode. Wasn't there a head bite too? Yep. It's a one-hit kill if you lined up someone's head in the middle of your jaws and you were close enough that would just take their head off and yeah. heal you like half your health. 
which is uh, reminiscent of the movies, Jared, because you have no idea what we're talking about. I'm not like living in a box. I know the basic. I, I don't premise. believe you like, at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah tell, your tell, box tell just what starts you want, like Jared. Your box just starts after like 1996. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's a that's a good description. <laughs> that's kind of a shitty box. <laughs> well, I was eight in 1996, not 25 like you, Sean. <laughs> I still look younger than you. Uh, <laughs> according to everyone, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> but another thing I I really loved about this game is that, well, yeah, it it could be so fast and fast paced. At certain times, you know, we would we would just play, or there was one predator and three marines or something, and he would hunt them all, and the game just slowed down a lot because the predator wouldn't move that much, or he set up in a spot, like Sean said. Because the Marines had the motion detector, and as soon as it went off, obviously all of them turn around and <laughs> it's you know, just, just start shooting their guns. Yeah, it's just like in the movies, you know. It, yeah, it created it created so many moments like that where you could hear everyone saying, "Just like, like, where are they?" You know, and the predator would just be looking at them, and then suddenly someone's head would get blown off. Yeah, yeah, it captures the spirit of the movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all big time, and it made a really balanced game, man, a really fun shooter. So. Yeah, I really had a home run with that. Just so many sporadic moments. One of my favorite things ever. I was running like with a pack of aliens, and when you played Alien, it just felt like a pack mentality. No matter really how you did it, if friendly fire was on, like aliens would would kill themselves so much because <laughs> how they work, they would all come around. If they saw one person, everyone pounces. <laughs> like, <laughs> so if someone gets in the way, you pounce on them. Basically, if you're the first one there, you'd probably get the kill, and then you would be murdered by everyone else. <laughs> and that everyone's trying to gain health, and for aliens to gain health, you just claw at dead bodies. So everyone's like clawing each other, and then someone dies. It's, it's, it's literally chaos. like a, a feeding frenzy. You hear of sharks like having these feeding frenzies, and, and that's exactly what would happen. But one time, running with a pack of aliens, and aliens can walk on walls and ceilings and stuff. And for whatever reason, the guy in front just jumped on the ceiling. And it's not like he told everyone else to, but all the aliens jumped on the ceiling. And it was amazing when we dropped down, like, on a pack of people. Yeah, I always played Predator, and I I had the... I was similar I wasn't quite like Sean, but, I mean, just the way that you play as a Predator, I know it is in some ways the definition of camping, but given the way that the character is designed, it's... It is the stealth hunter. You know, you're supposed to wait for the opportunity. You're supposed to... The weapons are designed that way, too. It's like you have a net gun. You have to wait in for the right moment, and you trap on the neck, net, you know. And you can't move around because the Marines have the motion sensors, too. But then if you come across a packet, you're just out of luck because they're just going to destroy you. <laughs> it was really fun when we, when we did do those, like, you know, just Marine or just humans versus predators and stuff. Mm-hmm. It... It almost created like like a survival horror scenario, you know, from scratch. A different mode. It was like the movie Predators with Adrian Brody. I'm kidding. Oh, my God. Okay. We were talking about something really cool, and then... <laughs> and I ruined it. <laughs> yeah. I, I still want to say I like that better than Predator 2. I don't really? Know. I don't know. What? I feel like Predator 2 brought more to the lore of Predator though yeah. like cool like weapons and stuff yeah yeah well predators really oh we got super predators like yeah 
Oh, really? yeah, I didn't care for the I didn't care for the predator dogs or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and bigger predators, that's the dumbest like yeah. I don't know. It's something about Danny Glover just never struck me as action hero. <laughs> lethal weapon, the entire franchise, you never you never liked uh. him from that? <laughs> no, I wasn't a lethal no. weapon fan. Uh no, Jared, I, I do those, get are, those that. are movies also, just so you know. <laughs> well you, I, you I went from ice. you went from Arnold <laughs> to Freaking Danny Glover. I mean, come yeah, on. but just, but it's not like they played him up like an Arnold type. You know, he was kind of a bumbly. Yeah, he was exactly what we always we expected him to be. Yeah, as you were saying, Jay, before I interrupted you, it, it just almost became like a a survival horror scenario, playing yeah. through a level of that. And you know, when the humans won, they had a great time. But when the predator got a kill or was able to, you know, get all of them. It was awesome. And I think just having these so many of these small moments throughout the game, of course you get them in any shooter, but for some reason it just captured the spirit of the movies, uh, the well, comics and all that so well. Yeah, like, it's like when you're the human, you have a motion sensor and you know an alien's coming at you. You don't know where to look. You just know because it doesn't say like height or yeah, exact same thing, you know. And you turn around, turn your light on, and the, the you know sometimes the last thing you see is the alien head coming at you with his claws out and you're just dead you know or or if they're like jay and they like to mess around people they're just like darting in circles around so you just like shoot at it and you see like just a tail and then it eats you or something i think i thought jay's favorite thing was to be a predator wait somewhere and then shoot you with the net gun but not come and kill you to just yeah, I, just the yeah. <laughs> I remember that and like, what the hell? Yeah, then, Why then would somebody you... else would run around. Someone else would run by and see you in a net and then kill you. Because <laughs> yeah. you're, you're in a third-person view. Well, you're in a first-person view. When you get hit with a net gun, suddenly you're like... You're sideways. Yeah. <laughs> you're just sideways. I mean, you can cut yourself out with your melee weapon, but it takes yeah. a few seconds. Yeah. I mean, ideally, you would go kill the person. But while... when you would die, it'd be still be cool, because all you can hear is the predator, like, walking towards you, and then you just hear... But we're saying that you never did that because ah. you're a jerk. <laughs> you just shoot people with a net gun and walk away. Like, All right. He's like, I could have killed you, but I'm going to be an a-hole and just not do it. Uh, Should have thought he was sub-zero. Hey, hey. No, but you could play Predator differently, you know, because he, he did have uh, all these advanced weapons and stuff. But yeah. as an alien, sometimes it'd be cool, you know, and reminiscent of the first movie where he throws down all his weapons and fights Arnold just, you know, hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, because sometimes you'd pounce at a predator, and instead of getting out his you know, smart disc or his shoulder cannon, you'd see him pull out his his spear, and then you're like, okay, it's time for a duel. Then yeah, I remember a buddy of mine and I were playing late into the night one, and we got really silly, and we just pulled out. I was predator, and I just pulled out my wrist blades and pulled his knife, and we just started. It was just a melee only attack, and we won. And, and then I shot you both at the net. Yes, <laughs> you weren't even there. You, yeah, but you that's something you would do. Yeah. You shoot one, and before the other one could kill, you would shoot them too, and then you would run away or something. No, uh, you. So, man. So, Jay's a troll. Oh, my gosh. No, I like to have fun in games. It'd be amazing to see that game, like, relaunched and have Dice make it or something, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Or have Monolith, who designed AVP2, uh, redo it. But if you get a chance to play this game, 
download it, borrow it from your friends on the internet. I highly suggest you you do it. The campaigns are even the single player is really well done. There's three intersecting stories that revolve around the same events, but playing as the different factions, so you get different perspectives on it. So I could talk forever about this game, but no, let's um yeah, let's move on to the the board game version. Yep. got to play it i haven't played it yet because my copy is over at your place i haven't either we do have an unboxing video of it so make sure to check out our channel to see the actual physical game yeah the minis are pretty awesome really cool i like that they're they're in scale to each other and they don't have that like super deformed head that heroic scale that you get from a lot of minis but anyways jared having not seen any of the movies since 1996 or whatever uh what I'm saying, you know, not knowing, I guess, the backstory. How how did the game... The entire lore. <laughs> yeah. Because we've, we've talked about Legendary Encounters, and I think you were able to glean some of the flavor from that. I don't know. What did you feel about uh, the board game? Um, I thought the board game was pretty awesome, in all honesty. I played as alien, the aliens, so I had this mass of guys. I had, what, like 15 units... Yep, so there's five Marines, 15 Aliens, and three Predators. Now, you, you might think that 15 Aliens, wow, that's a lot, but they're weak as shit. <laughs> and, like, I just would just get, like, slaughtered. Uh, but the game plays very well. It reminds me a lot of some, like, turn-based video games, uh, such as XCOM or, or some, something along those lines. <clears throat> Excuse me. I made this first, the first, basically, action of the game was me basically trying to ambush David who knew I was coming. Uh, and, and David played as the Marines. So all of David's guys were kind of grouped together. All of my guys were kind of grouped together. And I kind of jumped in with two groups on either side of him to try to just do as much damage as I could quickly and uh, get it over with, I guess you could say. That was the plan. Yeah, that was the plan. <laughs> We all had different wind conditions, so I had to kill a combination of you know of units to get to five points. So the Marines counting as one, and the Predators counting as two. So when I went in to jump into ambush, Dave, I guess, I guess I'll let Dave describe uh, what, what happened in that few that next few turn sequences there. So you can Im- imagine the dude from Alien saying "Game over, man," and he kind of <laughs> flips his shit and. <laughs> Yeah, well, imagine him saying that, but he has a flamethrower this time instead. <laughs> um, so basically what happened was the Marines do ranged combat, but they get a penalty if they're firing into spaces where there are other Marines. So when Jared jumped into the middle of a bunch of my guys, as opposed to trying to shoot and getting a massive penalty, I just took the guy who gets a flamethrower bonus that hits everybody basically <laughs> when he fires it and it was just like you know what just do it just fire and uh so i hit my own guys i hit all the jared's guys <laughs> so then we had to roll to try to save ourselves and i lucked out in the fact that the first time this is important <laughs> everybody made their roll and it was cool 
and I lost three of my units. Yes. But Jared then sent more units in, and, you know, I was just like, well, why not just try to flamethrower again? <laughs> that time, my guys were not so lucky. <laughs> so Jared killed, I think, one of them. I managed to kill two or, yeah. two or three yeah. of my own guys. Yeah. Uh, and then the last guy with the flamethrower ran away, so... <laughs> It was a, uh, it was an interesting stuff. Yeah, it's like oh, sorry guys. <laughs> Even though I did have, I had a plan at first where I was like, oh, this guy, you know, I was laying down these cards. I was like, this guy's in a combo. It's gonna be fantastic. And then Jay deactivated my guy at the same time, <laughs> and just completely screwed me. That's when I went to the flame oh, okay. like, hey, you know what, just burn everything. So. Yeah, hey, I had the most epically like, <laughs> the most like statistically improbable. Results to happen back to back ever. So <laughs> So I crit hit on Jay and then Jay you crit missed back to back, right? Yeah, because your alien can attack twice in close combat. Correct. And I had to roll under my armor was what a fifteen? Yeah. So I have a seventy five chance twice, by the way. I just have to roll a fifteen or, or less on a D twenty. And I roll the worst number you could possibly roll. I rolled a twenty. First time, and then the second time, another fucking 20, man. <laughs> so I basically just, I don't know. Now, I, I do want to point out, we kind of played with house modified rules. Jay was supposed to play, start with three predators, and he only started with two. And I wasn't supposed to start with as many units as I did, correct? No, you were, you were, oh, okay. you were fine. And then Jay, one of the predators had, what was it, his smart disc? ability that was just crazy powerful and jay used it once when he could have used it basically every turn but i think we quickly realized if he was able to use it every turn it was just going to be over before it even like started yeah well i could use it twice a turn because one of one of his attacks counted as ranged and one of them counted as a close combat so and you got to attack like four four times with each of them right yeah (sighs) yeah (laughs) I don't know, I still had a blast playing it. I guess we should, just real quick for gameplay, it's a very modular board. I think it borrows a lot from the Warhammer board game called Space Hulk. But you build tiles, different starting locations, objectives, and there's doors and stuff you can get through or little vents for aliens to run through. With different conditions, you have environment cards you draw on each turn. So it changes the gameplay a lot. Everyone has uh, strategy cards. They have a deck of cards they can play from two cards per turn and then each turn each model basically has two activation points to perform actions it might be to move or to shoot or interact with a room try to break down a door or try to to seal a door it kind of plays through a story there's 10 missions included in the base game that progress to larger and larger things happening and like i said very modular so there's also a deck that lets you randomize starting locations and objectives in case you finish through all the story missions and you you want to create kind of like we did with the first person shooter just these different scenarios where you can just see like if how marines and predators can face off or how these different things work but i think they did a pretty good job of just translating again the asymmetrical feel to the different factions predators may be a little overpowered but marines work really well in a group together and aliens kind of had to swarm and overwhelm their opponents to win. I know it's a game we'll definitely play again. 
Yeah, I definitely want to try it next time you guys play it. Yeah, because I think it... Like, there's some controversy. I, I guess we shouldn't, like, skip over uh, the controversy with the game. In terms of getting it out to backers, Protoss has not done the best job at uh, getting the game out to people who gave them money up front first. Like, a lot of retail chains have gotten it before any of the backers have. And the I feel like the board game is more of a launching pad for the miniatures game. So it's more of a way to hook people in that way. Because I think maybe it's easier to publish a board game than it is a minis game. I don't know. But anyways, I'm really looking forward to the additional models that will be coming and what they do with the game. But I think it's a good job of translating... The asymmetrical feel of the franchise. Yeah. And we did talk about for future games, adding some house rules of some sort to add just a little bit more, I guess, advanced gameplay to it. Yeah, I think for for better, smoother gameplay and also some of it more thematic and some of it just for balance issues, you know. I think there are camps out there that are like, oh, you should just play board games with the rules as written, how they're supposed to be. But I feel like if you find a rule that doesn't necessarily break the game everyone can agree to without changing the fundamental ways of how it plays then not a bad thing that's it man game over man it's game over what the f- are we gonna do now what are we gonna do maybe we could build a fire sing a couple of songs huh why don't we try that we better get back because it'll be dark soon and they mostly come at night mostly so those are just a couple of games that i guess feature asymmetrical gameplay that are really fun I highly suggest you try them out. There are, of course, tons of other games we haven't mentioned. For instance, uh, Star Trek Fleet Captains, which we mentioned a couple episodes back. Even, I guess, miniatures games, like Attack Wing for sure, you know. We have that four-player play session up, but you can see, like, a dragon versus troops versus, you know, a ground giant and a small athletic angel. And how they played differently, but I think overall it at least felt balanced. If you get a chance to, and if your group kind of fits the the model for asymmetrical gameplay, I do suggest trying some of these games out. So in addition to receiving the Kickstarter for AVP, which we were able to get because we had someone pick it up at Gen Con, we also got an unboxing video of Journey, Wrath of Demons, which was Kickstarter project. Also with very, very, really cool-looking miniatures. And uh, I think I just got a sipping notification for Cthulhu Wars Wave 2. So definitely looking forward to Kickstarters. They're all kind of flooding in at the moment. I know, Jared, you're waiting on a couple? Yeah, I think Entropy is currently in production. I would expect that in the next maybe month or so. We did get an update on the Call of Cthulhu 7th edition. Basically more delays. <laughs> yeah, more errors on the pat, on uh, Chaosium. I'm glad they're working them out, but yeah. man, it's like every time I get an email, I'm like, really? Like, no one else thought to look at that? Like, for th- for instance, this uh, the latest one was <coughs> they didn't realize that the page sheet that they formatted the entire book in wasn't the actual page sheet that it's going to get printed on. It was off like a half an inch or something. So all their margins were off. So mm-hmm. they have to go back and edit back all the pages so that they look correct on the print sheet. So now I'd be pissed if I got a copy and, you know, all the text is like right up to the margin. 
Yeah, or it's cut off. You know? Right, yeah, but at the same time, man, I just really want my, my Kickstarter at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of holding us back from running it, because I'd, I'd yeah. rather have a physical copy to flip through when we run our campaign rather than clicking through. But anyways, yeah, ton of games, shipping and stuff, so we've got plenty of videos to get out, more content to get to all of our listeners. People still keep downloading episode four, so... If this is your first episode and you haven't listened to it, episode four is super popular for some reason. And we have no idea why because <laughs> we haven't posted it anywhere. Well, we appreciate you listening to episode four and this episode. Oh, I did want to give it a shout out to he likes our posts every time we post the podcast one. <laughs> Isaac Frischman. Yes, Isaac Frischman. So, yeah. yeah, shout out to Isaac Frischman. Yo, what's up? Hopefully you're actually listening and not just liking our podcast posts. But... <laughs> no, Isaac is a is a pretty good gamer. Yeah, so yeah, he said he'd be down to play with us anytime. Okay, yeah, no, Isaac, we'd love to have uh, play a, a game with you. As long as you were listening to our podcast. If not, then, you... <laughs> then you'll never get the invitation. <laughs> no, that's cool. Uh, thanks for tuning in though this week. Play some AVP, man. That's probably what I'm going to do when AVP I get out of here. Make sure yeah, it's the second yeah. one. Oh, yeah. AVP 2. Don't play the remake or the, the original. They're not as good. Anything else? No. Gotta, you got to screw up the sign-off and then redo it, and then we all got to say bye after making fun of you like normal. <laughs> That's our ending. <laughs> <laughs> Dean just did it. Just everyone, make sure to check out our other episodes of this podcast. You can also check us out on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, and we're on some of the other podcasting apps as well. Yeah, Out of Space Games. <laughs> yeah, that's the important <laughs> detail of it. <laughs> yeah. Go find us. So yeah, my name is Jay. My name is Sean. I'm Jared. I'm Dean. I'm David. And this is Out of Space Games. We'll catch you next time. Word. <laughs>